0: Happy 2020 from First Bite and Speech Therapy PD.com. We wanted to announce that to kick off 2020 for the first time ever, we will be issuing out and wait for it, drum roll, dun 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 dun, an all new Podcourse subscription. For $79 a month, you get over 175 hours of Asha Continuing Education with 19 new episodes a month. That's fantastic. Well, they want to make sure that you also know we have a brand new coupon code. So the coupon code is F as in first B as in bite, followed by the number 20 F B 20. And that brand new coupon code will give you $20 off the PodCore subscription. So you get 175 hours of continuing ed plus an average of 19 new hours a month all for $59 a year. And we cover everything from early intervention to schools, to adults, to ethics. So be sure to type in F as in first, B as in bite, and then the number's 20. Enjoy your coupon, or as my folks say, enjoy that coupon. folks, and welcome to First Bite, fed, fun, functional resources for the pediatric clinician. I am your host on this nerd venture, Michelle Dawson, MSCCC SLP, the All Things PEDS SLP. I am a colleague in the trenches of home health early intervention, right there with you. I run my own private practice, Heartwood Speech Therapy, in Cola Town, South Carolina and guest lecture nationwide on best practices for early intervention for the medically fragile child. First Bite's mission is short and sweet, to bring light and hope to the world for the pediatric clinician, parent, or advocate. In this podcast, we cover everything from AAC to breastfeeding, best practice for running a private practice, and all the nitty-gritty details involving feeding and swallowing by interviewing the subject matter experts themselves. We bring the data to you. Every fourth episode, I am joined by the lovely Erin Forward, MSP, CFSLP, a Yankee transplant who actually inspired this journey and who also walks the wild, woolly, and sometimes sticky walk of early intervention with us. Sit back, relax, and watch out for all the squirrels and enjoy this geeky gig brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. So, today's episode falls in the fed, fun, and functional categories. And on a personal level, I hope it lifts away the wintertime blues and brings some sunshine straight into your soul. Because today, we have two lovely folks back who have filled my personal and professional cup several times over. And I am all about spreading joy and hope when and where we can. So I'm grateful that they came back so that they can refill your cup too. So on that note, as I'm Southern and a firm believers in ladies first, not just because I want to head start and tic-tac-toe with the goose and the bear because they cheat. <laughs> but let me introduce the lady, the dynamic Elizabeth Beth. Halpin. Did I say it right or did I bad English that? Um, M-H-S-O-T-R-L-S-C-F-E-S from episode number 60, OTs and Feeding. Who knew? And the awesome Rob Dempster, PhD, who's a pediatric psychologist from episode number 71, Psyched About Psychology and Feeding. Now, these two fabulous folks are not only colleagues in the grand sense of the concept of we all work together for pediatric feeding and swallowing, but they are also co workers in the very real sense that they work together in the same building, troubleshooting over coffee for the same patients to get them set for success. And I happen to know right this very second are sharing one set of earphones in order to pull off this fabulous recording. So, Cody, <laughs> but this right here, that depth of interprofessional collaboration. That's the part that makes me so stupid excited about today, because you know how, when you find a rhythm with that coworker, that, that beautiful sweet spot of shared joint memory, well, it's that amazing spot where, where joy and healing can actually start happening. So today These two folks are going to share how that amazing thing happened for them and their team when they started working collaboratively for a combined treatment approach for pediatric feeding and swallowing disorders. So Beth and Rob, yay! Thank you for coming back.
1: Yeah, (laughs) we're thrilled to be here.
0: Thanks for having us. Yay. Also, folks, if you didn't see it, I totally saved this profile picture of me recording on um, the bedroom floor due to acoustics and my kitchen being still a hot mess and the lovely Beth and Rob pulling off a uh, shared microphone earbud adventure. So we are all warm and cozy today, right?
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Amen. Yay!
0: Okay. All right. So... We have a lot to cover, but um, in case folks haven't caught um, episode 60 or episode 71 yet, Beth, can you um, super briefly crash course us on um, who you are and a little bit about what it is that you do on a Monday through Friday as an OT?
2: Sure. So um, I work in our intensive feeding program along with Rob. And so um, kind of Monday through Friday right now, I am seeing two patients, um, for three meals a day, Monday through Friday for six to eight weeks. Um, and so that is, um, pretty much what I am doing, um, Monday through Friday.
0: Okay. And, and you work with Sir Rob, correct? (laughs) Yes, I do. I
1: like this sir thing. I got an upgrade. All right.
0: I mean, who needs a PhD when you can have a sir? Just saying.
1: Absolutely.
0: (laughs) Uh, That's that's. If only it were that easy, right? Okay. Now, what do you do Monday (laughs) through Friday, friend?
1: So, well, my role with our intensive patients is um, working on the behavior plan. Um, A lot of our families are not used to using, um, behavioral strategies and applying them along with the oral motor strategies and everything else they're doing with our program. So, um, I have more patience because Beth is kind of in the, in the weeds, in the meals day in and day out. Whereas I'm behind the scenes meeting with them to see how they're adjusting to the plans, working with them on adapting it. Um, but then also I see, um, feeding outpatients as well, follow-ups from our intensive program, um, and also some consultation on the inpatient side of things. So we can kind of speak at it from all angles today.
0: Perfect. Okay. Well, that's that's good because we got a lot of ground to cover. Um, and, and it is, um, for lack of a better phrase, somewhat... Um, This is territorial. Today's episode is territorial. I'm trying to find a PC way of segueing that, but there's no PC way. Let's just (laughs) put it out there. SLPs for the most part, like to think that feeding is our, is our baby. And when we find out that OTs and psychs and God help them, if an RD tries to get in the mix, much less a PC, like (laughs) it's like a little pissing war contest gets started. And, um, but I am old enough and gray enough and have enough experience in my personal triangle of the evidence-based practice triangle to recognize that I need y'all, that we as a profession need y'all. So, um, that being said, there's all these misconceptions. So please tell us for everybody listening, what does a combined treatment approach look like? You, want
1: to start
2: yeah, you can start <laughs> well, and then there were crickets
1: <laughs> so i guess at our center you know like we'll be talking things mostly from the therapy and psychology end here but but where we are also the um ot's and slp's are considered feeding therapists so half of our staff of feeding therapists are ot's half are slp's and have the same uh, you know duties and roles and everything here. So, you know, we we really try to eliminate that turfiness. But also, well, since even though we're talking mostly about psychology and therapy, really we have a combined treatment approach with the RDS, the MDS, social work, our chef, kind of the 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 works with everybody here. So, um, so we'll focus on on the therapy and psychology part though. So, I think for us, um, you know, it's really looking at at two sides of of the same coin. So being a psychologist, you know, I I got in-depth training in um, mood regulation, behavior management, all of those kinds of things. But if it comes to something like evaluating how somebody is swallowing or trying to look at texture grading or, you know, how they're they're able to um, build that skill, you know, I'm, I'm really out of my wheelhouse. So, um, the, the first year that I was here, um, we, I would be combined in our evaluation clinic with these other disciplines, but then kind of more on an Island. Um, when I was in my outpatient treatment, this was long before our intensive program. And so, um, when we started treating patients together, it was really figuring out that, you know, you talked about kind of a dance in the beginning of, okay, which, which parts are more your part, which parts are more my part. And then there's also a lot of overlap in the Venn diagram and how do we, how do we kind of navigate that stuff? So, um, you know, I think that's, that's what I think about the most with our, with our combined approaches is, is kind of making sure that we're working on a plan um, for the family at the same time. So they're not having to see two different people and try to pick out, what what they should be doing, we're able to help them with that collaboration.
2: And just to kind of add in from a therapy standpoint, so, I mean, speaking from an OT standpoint, um, you know, we're working on the oral motor skills and stuff, but so many times there were also behavior components that played into that. And, you know, I mean, I, I I knew some behavioral strategies, but by all means, I wasn't an expert in behavioral strategies and how to implement that and what that looked like at a meal time and stuff. And so, and that's where I relied heavily, because I was totally out of my wheelhouse, you know, where I relied heavily on Rob to be able to add that piece to the puzzle. I could work on the oral motor and, and you know, say you need to do these exercises, but if I couldn't get the kid to cooperate to do those exercises, I'm not going to make gains, you know, and so that's where, you know, having that combined approach together, you know, kind of all working on that same goal of getting that kid to eat, but coming at it from our respective sides and how do we mesh that together to work for the family?
0: Okay. I have 14 different questions. So let's start with the easy one. Do you <laughs> have a PT
2: on the team? No.
0: So who does, who does positioning?
2: Um, The OTs for the most part do the positioning, but really, like Rob said, we try to get, give the training for, at least for our intensive for all of the therapists to be able to look at from positioning. But, the positioning, if you want to break it down, would fall under OT.
0: See, that's that's a huge misconception, um, because I've had I've had parents say, "Well, the PT should be working on the sitting," and I'm like, "Oh, actually, I think the OT does that." And then I know out in California, there was a big push by the PT lobbying association that the physical therapists were supposed to do all feeding and swallowing, which is. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I,
1: I don't know what you think. I think most of our PTs are like, you go ahead and <laughs> yeah. keep them. Right.
2: Yeah.
1: And <laughs> I, I I don't, I don't most
2: of my PT friends do say that you can teach them to feed and you yes. can toilet them. I'm just so. thinking. I don't know <laughs> too many
0: PTs that are lining up to do um, uh, aggressive oh. oral Any care. Any of the ADLs, yeah. as.
2: Far as- Right. You know, like the shower, the bathing, the toileting, the feeding, you can keep all of it. Oh, <laughs> you know, so,
0: um, to all the PTs out there, we love you.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. So, so at least in our center here, you know, so PTs, by all means, are an important piece of the puzzle for a lot of our kids, because as we all know, that trunk support mm-hmm. is a vital part of feeding you know, and the more trunk support and head control that you have, um, that just, that just helps, it helps things move. It helps when you get up and get moving, you know, things that move through, um, through the intestines and stuff. So by all means, Mm -hmm. PTs have a valuable piece, you know, overall from a developmental kind of standpoint. Um, but oftentimes, at least in my experience is the PTs are looking things from a positional standpoint, from a functional mobility, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and so they're looking at what the proper wheelchair is for them to be able to support, to be able to, to get out into the community. And, um, but you know, we're looking at it more, not so much from a general stability, we're looking at it specifically for feeding. And I think that's where, um, at least in my opinion, the OT is a vital piece for that positioning part.
1: And, and I think that's a big part of what changed for, for me with the co-treatment. I mean, my setup over in psychology had basically uh, a regular chair, a small chair, or a giant chair, and <laughs> trying to pick which one was sort of eyeballing and guessing and uh, and going for it. So once once we started working together on these things, I really learned how important that stuff is. And really, you know, so many of our patients, once they're not having to focus on how they're holding themselves up and they have that comfortable positioning, mm-hmm. a lot of their behaviors improve, right? So it, so all these aspects kind of go back and forth okay. with each other.
0: So that, that was my easy question. But it that my it would there was a follow-up, but now that we've gone a different way, like I've already forgotten the follow-up question. I need to start writing these down. <laughs> <laughs> so um <laughs> and And Rob, I know we spent time talking in our last one about getting the parent buy in um, okay, I'm trying to not jump the gun and slip down to like the like the third and fourth question, but when it comes to picking out the right patient for the feeding clinic um do you guys have parameters? Do they have to have an outside OTPT SLP psych co- eval and consult before they come to you guys, or uh, or can they just be like a new patient altogether? Am I explaining that well? I don't think I came that. Well. Yeah. Okay
1: so for our center our our uh, team eval clinic is kind of the funnel everybody has to go through so um that includes a feeding therapist psychology a medical doctor a dietitian, and a social worker so um if they're if they're being seen for one of these programs they they're kind of evaluated at that point by by everybody at some point so Usually they're just referred by their pediatrician, but I'll say, you know, before we were in the intensive program and all that, all that kind of stuff, we would often do combined treatment approaches on the outpatient side. So Beth and I were routinely, you know, I'd pop over to clinical therapies or she'd come over to psychology and, um, even not necessarily for people who'd been done for that approach. And I guess the reason why I mentioned that is I feel like sometimes when we talk about this kind of thing, people are like, oh, that's great. You know, in this in a large hospital system or whatever it is. But really, you know, we started doing more co-treatment just by calling each other and popping over to an, to an office and figuring it out. You know, it, does, it doesn't, it, having all the other stuff is great, but it, that's not the way that it has to be in order to help these families really navigate this.
0: Was it like an organic evolution? is that how this went from like a co-treatment popping in to like actually creating the clinic and like the consistent combined treatment programs? Was it just like organic or did somebody like, how did that evolution happen? Because we need that in the South and I really, really, really want that to happen in South Carolina, but like how?
2: So I think the the answer is kind of complex. I would, I would think, um, so I, I think this, the simple answer is that some of it happened organically, you know, in the sense that we were we were both in a clinic or I was seeing some patients that I was like, hey, I have this going on. Can I pick your brain a little bit? Um, and then some of like as far as the intensive program goes and really having all of the team members, um, that was something the hospital had a desire to, to pursue, you know, and so. Um, so, like the coach treatments, just between OT and psychology, like I said, kind of happened, kind of just more naturally of just getting it to know each other, each other's um, approach to, to treatment in general with feeding, um, and then, like I said, the, the the intensive part was driven by the hospital.
1: Yeah, and and they recruited our uh, our medical director here, who had been in a real transdisciplinary program, and so it's kind of these thing these things were starting up, but then that just you know, poured gasoline on the fire. And, you know, then you bring in somebody who's, who's been there and has done it. And that just, you know, really sent it off.
0: That's awesome. Because we, we don't, we don't have it here. Like, I mean, heavens to Betsy's, that's how I met y'all was because I was so concerned about that patient who, by the way, is eating (laughs) Cheerios, he <laughs> be still my heart. Yeah, wow. I mean, we went from a year and six months ago to he wouldn't touch food, and now he is feeding himself almost all of his meals at school, and like a fair few of them at home, and has started asking for a food pop and popping Cheerios in his mouth. And I'm like, oh. So the advice that you guys that's have is awesome, really good, and um. Yeah, mom's happy. She sent me happy happy your text message and I'm like, This is so cool, this
1: I do it. Yay. That's what it's all about. Yeah. yeah those are the best hey, messages man. to
0: listen <laughs> And folks, please don't think that I always have it together because I definitely gave him a cracker one time, totally forgetting the kid was gluten-free and then his mom was like, You rock. I was like, I suck. But you know, we all suck. <laughs> <laughs>
1: as long as you own it you know
0: right. <laughs> i owned it and his twin sister looked at me and she was like i think we made a bad choice i was like girlfriend you are correct
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh my
0: God, that's great! no anaphylactic shock we're okay okay Whew. so yeah right Whew. um at least it wasn't nuts i did check myself there right. um okay so um all right so i'm imagining that when like a kiddo comes in all right. So here's, here's big picture. Some thoughts that are running through my head. I have a couple kiddos that I would love to send to an intensive feeding program. I would love to send to a combined treatment program, but I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like several of the patients that I see just aren't medically stable because we don't have a full grasp of the underlying etiology. So like one case in particular um, has the baby has a rare genetic condition? We just finished tapering down from seventeen point five milligrams of or mLs of phenobarbital twice a day to once a day to nothing, and that's been like a four month taper. And we have complete feeding tube dependency. There was force feeding. There was a lot of other things going on, but. We have signs, symptoms of feeding tube dependency, but at the same time, we still um, don't have the BMI in order to do the classic feeding tube dependency protocol of like cutting out feeding tubes. Well, like,
1: uh, well, I guess if I'm, if yeah, maybe I'll step onto a soapbox real quick, so because yeah. I think that's uh, that's not necessarily how all intensive feeding programs work, and so I think that's the
0: okay. Uh, well, then tell me. Because that's my worry. I want her to come to you guys. I want several of my patients to come to you guys, but like, I don't even think that they're medically stable enough yet to do
1: it. So it really depends, you know, in, so when we were building this program, like I said, our medical director had come from a program she had established, but we also went and toured other programs around the country to find out what they do and, you know, yeah. try to pull in ideas for, for what we do. And tube weaning is just one of the most fascinating things because, you know, there's some programs out there like no tube that'll swear you have to do rapid cuts and there's inpatient programs that might cut 50% yeah. on the first day. But yeah. a program like that- Those
0: are the ones I know about. Yeah,
1: so a program like that, you can't get into unless your body's above something like the 25th percentile from the get-go, yeah. right? Um, but then other programs that we visited um, would maybe do a 10% cut and see if that would help stimulate appetite um, and then go from there. Really for us, we don't do cuts on day one. We do one-to-one tube weaning. So um, for our program, we get um, our dietitians calculate what their body needs. We try to get them on daytime feeds or bolus feeds, you know, to, to get them to be able to tolerate meals and then whatever they don't take at a meal, they, um, they subtract out. And it's interesting when you go to each program, everybody thinks that well this is the way that you have to do it and there's no randomized studies we don't know what the most effective way of tube weaning is but what i can tell you is their programs and our program all has success so you know we need to have more research on it but my guess is they're like the kind of kid that fits in a rapid program is going to have that stable weight. But we have kids who come to our program because even on tube feedings, maybe the family has an intellectual disability, or maybe their, um, their cultural practices are just so, you know, not akin to all of these tube feeding numbers that they haven't been able to wrap their minds around exactly how to do the different schedule. But once they're here on a day in day, day out basis, they're able to gain the weight. So weight gain might be something that's needed for certain programs, but not necessarily every program. And I think,
0: I have uh, no idea. Okay. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And so, you know, a lot of the pa- the ones that do the rapid weaning tend to be more inpatient because we can't mm-hmm. do a rapid wean without being able to monitor levels and things like that. But mm-hmm. um, a lot more of the uh, day treatment ones might be able to take that. So, but I think the, the thing that's important is really to talk to the specific programs and find out, what their approach is and how that fits with um, with the patient that you have. Um, there, there are some patients who, you know, if they are on continuous J-tube feeds for 20 hours a day and their body can't just tolerate any more food in their stomach, they probably aren't going to be a fantastic candidate, right? But if it's more just maybe they're a 0% oral eater, but, um, you know, they're able to take bolus feeds, they're not having... You know, vomiting with every single feed or anything like that. Then many we see many of those kids.
0: Okay, so what about the ones that don't have an etiology yet? Like we're assuming GI components, like delayed gastric emptying or delayed GI motility or stuff like that. Do they have to have those diagnoses in place? before they can be successful in a combined treatment program, or do you guys work through them, work with them through that? That's what I mean.
2: We don't need the etiology, Michelle. We can work with them and through that. Um, That's the advantage of having such a large dynamic team, you know, is that we all kind of bring that piece to the puzzle. And so usually we rely, obviously, on our medical director to be able to, you know, look at it and she might prescribe a medication or we might look at it and say we're going to just only limit volumes to a certain amounts, you know, and kind of gradually move up from that. But we do not need to have a um, a set understanding of why things are happening.
1: And, and I'd say, I'd say most of the time there's mm-hmm. not a smoking gun. That's like, true. We we don't know, and you know, waiting to to figure that out. I mean, now don't get me wrong, we. Want to make sure the appropriate tests have been run. What if there's eosinophilic esophagitis? I mean, that's more of our our medical team could talk about, you know, all of that stuff. But um, you know, the bottom line is, a lot of the time, you just don't know why. I go ahead.
2: And oftentimes, with those kids, we start with such gradual exposure to things, you know, so that um, if we do get some sort of reaction or um, you know, kind of to it, you know, we're able to narrow it down to that specific food or formula that you know. Because we don't make a bunch of changes, you know, kind of all at one time. When we do start introducing things orally,
1: but by the time they've made it to us, usually they've done every test under the sun. Is the bottom line, you know. And I've even I've had close personal friends that have had to go through this type of program where their child just stopped eating. They ran every single test. Nobody, no, you know, developmental delays, no, nothing. They just don't know why. We never did, but. He got that nasal feeding tube out and he's doing great, you know?
0: Oh, that's the, oh, bless my little souls. That's the worst feeding tube possible. Oh, in my opinion. Cause I mean, I've had kids get tangled up in it and like rip it out. And just, you know what like, though? You know,
1: I, I think I, that I, hurts my mom. I get the, 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 it's, it's hard to see. It's hard to watch, but for a lot of our kids, what happens, thinking thing particularly about like our inpatient consultations, they get admitted for having low weight and behavioral strategies will initially make it so that you don't eat as much while we're changing things up. So if we don't, if there's not a safety net, you know, that's fine if you're at a, at a good weight, but for our kids who are admitted to failure with failure to thrive, uh, for a lot of them, if it wasn't for the, for having an NG tube temporarily, they wouldn't be able they, – They what they would have is a, a permanent G-tube. Okay. You know, but let's go ahead.
0: No, I was going to share. Erin, my sweet Erin who co-hosts this with me, right? She had the perfect analogy on the role of a feeding tube. Okay. And I thought – I think she's freaking brilliant, right? This was Erin's analogy. And Aaron, I'm totally botching this, but girl, I'm trying to do it justice, okay? All right. She said, you would never ask a physical therapist or an occupational therapist – to move a patient without the safety belt, whatever the thing is you put around their backs. I don't know what I'm talking about there, but you know what I mean? Or, and you would never teach um, a person who has had a, um, a total knee replacement uh, to get up and walk without a walker, right? That's the purpose of a G-tube or a feeding tube. It's an aid to get them somewhere and I thought that was the perfect analogy. And, um, but what is that belt called aside from safety belt? Because I can't.
1: You're talking, see, we told you we don't have a PT in our center. If we did, we'd know. I do. <laughs> it's a gate belt. <laughs> oh, there we go. <laughs> I'm like,
2: what is it A gone? gate, gate um, G-A-I-T belt. A gate belt. Okay, gate belt sounds a whole lot better than safety I mean, belt. There it is. I mean, safety belt works too.
0: <laughs> but yes, you're right. Okay, all right. So they don't have to have because that's another misconception. Is that I would I think and feel like before, especially because we don't have it in South Carolina, we're so hypersensitive to the fact that if we send somebody somewhere, most of the time the families have to pay out of pocket, even with like assistance and grants, it can still be several thousand dollars. And so the fear of not knowing the etiology before they get there and not having a successful, um, experience because they're still trying to chase out the medical is that's a legit concern, but you're, you're changing my, my, um, my triangle here. I'm loving this. Yeah. Okay. All right. So then
1: well, and, who, and, go ahead.
0: No, 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 go. Because I was gonna go to the next question, but go. Okay.
1: <laughs> I was just gonna say, and don't get me wrong, we wanna look and see what's going on. And having our, our medical colleagues involved is important. It's just um sometimes there's just not anything there's just not an answer that you're gonna find. And that shouldn't prevent somebody from engaging in therapies to help them. Right. So it's mm-hmm. we wanna make sure we do our due diligence, but once we've done the best we can with that, let's let's get moving. Right.
0: Okay. All right. So then who benefits? Who's the ideal candidate for a combined treatment program? Because I know that in, um, I think it's CHOA, has one that's specifically geared towards children that have autism spectrum disorders. And, you know, we all hear rumors on the wind that, oh, you don't want to go to this facility. You want to go to this facility because they specialize in this. And But I mean, like, you know rumors are, they're, they're just that, you know, <laughs> like help.
2: So it's mean, to answer your question. I think that I don't want to narrow it down to like certain conditions. Um, I would rather look at more characteristics, you know? So, um, so if you're looking at just a kind of a combined treatment session between a feeding therapist and psychologist, I think the big part would be a kid who obviously has you know, oromotor and swallowing issues and concerns, along with behavioral concerns. You know, those, that's a, a really the simple answer, you know, kind of for that. If you're looking at kind of the big picture and looking at an, an intensive program, um, or how referring to like, or even our evaluation clinic, um, what I usually tell new thera- feeding therapists um, that I'm mentoring is, if they have more than one, um, I'm sorry, more than two kind of areas that they need help in. So if it's a, a, or a motor behavioral, if there is, um, some sort of a medical stuff, kind of like what we were talking about from a motility standpoint, um, vomiting, if there's weight issues and it could be either weight gain or weight loss, you know, kind of issues along with, um, a feeding tube, you know, kind of placement. That all of those kids would benefit from a combined, you know, kind of treatment, because you're going to need to pull as as you work up on the oral motor component skill components, and you're working up on volumes of food. I'm going to need to rely on my dietitian friends to go and help me tell me how much of that feeding I can take away, because I can only get skill. Um, building so much before I run into volume issues, Mm -hmm. you know? And so, and I can't, I can't adjust tube feedings as an OT. Like that's not in my scope of practice, you know? So. Nor
0: is it in an SLPs. And I have had, I have had physicians tell the parents, I have one case right now, bless him, cutest little blonde haired, blue eyed kid ever on Thursdays. And the physician told the um, parent that I was responsible for it. And it was my job that it was my fault that his tube feed volumes didn't increase. And I was like, oh, so that's inaccurate information and here's why. And yeah.
2: And I feel like if you've been in the feeding world, we've all been approached by a parent has come to us and said, you know, our physician has said that you would be the one adjusting tube feedings, you know, and Realistically speaking, the only person that should be coming from is either the physician themselves mm-hmm. or our lovely dietitians. <laughs> you know,
0: <laughs> there's there's a lovely dietitian who informed me that she has tits and not C's. So when you're spelling dietitians, make sure you don't add a C in there. <laughs> and I thought that was
2: true. That's awesome. You know what? I'm not
1: going to be the one to tell that joke here. <laughs> <enough. laughs> Oh, that works. Hey,
2: it's all right. You, you got a couple of double
0: X's. We got you covered, my man.
1: It's 2019. All
0: right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my um, oh my goodness.
1: Um, but I, I think if I go back to that, to the original question too, I think what we were seeing a lot of in psychology is we were getting bombarded with all these referrals for kids who um, what they need is oral motor feeding therapy. Like they do not have good chewing and swallowing skills, but they won't even enter the office or sit in the chair or, God forbid, let anybody's fingers near their mouth. And so it would be, well, can you refer them to psychology to work on the behavior and then refer them back to therapy to work on the skill? And what we found is that oftentimes just doing a couple consultations and being able to, to, um, Give permission for you know this session might have uh, a temper tantrum, but our goal is just to sit in the chair, and that's really the only goal. And if he if he pitches a fit for twenty minutes, that's okay. We're we're gonna hang out and somebody to help with how small of a goal to start with, what kind of rewards we're using, and how we build up. Sometimes I'd go over for a session or two, and then they would be able to put a plan in place, and then they're able to get to the part that as a psychologist I I can't get to it all. Um, and so it's these, it's these kids where, you know, or maybe they're clamping their mouth shut or, um, also they'll do well in therapy, but then that doesn't translate to home. How do we navigate some of those, those more behavioral, um, aspects. And then I think on the other side, we'd often do, um, co-treatment sessions where I might call Beth or one of our other therapy colleagues over because, okay, I've got him eating his purees. I know that he, um, you know, needs to advance to the next step. Do I need to send him all the way to feeding therapy, or can you tell me the next texture we can work up on volume-wise? And we'll do that for a few sessions and then get another consultation. So um, you know, it kind of goes in both directions.
0: Oh my goodness. I Are y'all sure you don't want to move slightly warmer? I'm just saying.
2: Mm-hmm. I think about it in the winter yeah. time every
1: year. <laughs> yeah. It could be snowbirds, you know? Uh,
0: yeah, because I mean, it's all right. I think about moving come uh, June through August when I'm like, go outside and you get like a second shower just by walking outdoors with humidity. <laughs> I realize how neglected I've left my children when they have no concept of how to make a snow angel or a snowman because we've literally never had snow their entire Seven years and five years of existence, and the best is when barely <laughs> lay... could you well, make
2: bear lays on the carpet and he goes, Look, I made a snow angel. And I'm like, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking they could do sand angels, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah but they you know. bring sand in the house, and that's a negative sensory <laughs>
0: experience for the mommy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I guess that's how we get you to come up to Ohio instead yeah. is we got snow angels. We don't have mountains or ocean, but but we got snow.
0: You, you do have a good argument. Okay. Now but you did touch on one thing. That transition going from the the inpatient to the home health, those are really that's and I'm totally skipping two questions, folks, to go to this one because they brought it up. So we're gonna. I promise we'll go back to the other questions. But um, you you have you have a captive audience of predominantly outpatient clinicians and home health clinicians, and we are we are practicing in silos on an island, and sometimes there's no snow and only sand. So like, <laughs> what do we do? if we can't get the kid to a clinic in order to set up co-treating and setting up a combined treatment program in our little areas? Can you give us your top three suggestions?
2: So Michelle, I think I touched base a little bit on this in my podcast, Um, you know, talking about setting like clear expectations, um, setting smaller goals, you know, so you want things to be achievable. So, and what I mean by that is, Ultimately, we want them to be able to maybe eat an entire bowl of of macaroni and cheese. Um, you know, but we might have to start where they accept just a the teeniest, tiniest little bite of noodle, you know. Um, you know, so you want to set things up so that you can build upon successes, you know, with it. Um, and like when you when you say something that you really want to mean it, you know? So if you say this is your last bite, that you really mean it's your last bite. I think would be kind of the things that jump out right away to me.
0: I've been guilty of that. And when my one little guy with my Cheerios, after both of our last conversations with both of you respectively, I Mm -hmm. have made such a conscientious effort in my own practice to stop. And when I say four more and then we're going to do – um oh my gosh what is that bruno Mars song uptown funk you up uptown you up. Um, i can't tell you how many Three, times I've danced. that's his favorite song so like whatever i can't dance i have no rhythm and if um you had four bites we were gonna get up and tell alexa Alexa, play Uptown Funk You Up. And, you know, we would dance to the song and then come back to the table and then we'd have five bites, but setting that realistic realistic expectation. Um, yeah.
1: And it's hard, right? I'm not going to lie. There are many times where we've said uh, four more bites and you're done and they gobble it down in 30 seconds. And I'm like, I wish I would have said 10. Yeah. But like, but you didn't. So you got to end after four. And then next time we know we can come back.
0: mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So realistic expectations, start small, make it measurable and stay true to your word. And-,
1: and Yeah. And I, and I think the, um, the, the thing that I've seen in most of the time, like if I'm going over to a therapy office and doing consultation with it is the, um, the, the child starts to get upset and then it's, the the MO is like okay well what can i do to calm them down or to settle out this situation you know and if if we've tried you know maybe a more child directed approach for a while or we've done something else and we realize okay no we it's it's a just one lick but we really need you to get to this lick it's it's setting that goal and then sticking with it even even once that volcano erupts and so most of the time, that actually might not even happen in that session, but next time, they know you stick by it, or maybe it's the time after that, and I think that's been the hardest thing for people to sit with is, okay, they're upset, and we're just going to hang out like this, right? And so I would, I would never ask a child to come into my office on day two and eat a whole cheeseburger right? Or anything like that. So that, that, that concept only works if we're setting a reasonable goal that we know that they can achieve. But if we are setting that reasonable goal and, you know, and they don't have that internal motivation to, to just keep going with it, eventually, um, you know, that's, that's where the times that I've been consulted, it's those kids who've gotten to that point where they get right up to the edge, but we've been doing this for nine months and they, and they just don't. Take the lick or take the bite or whatever it is, um, and and being willing to to sit there in that in that time.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I have one little one that um, <laughs> with his little bitty Yankee accent, he'll go no, no shell, <laughs> and I cannot even do the vowels right because like <laughs> the Northeast has hard vowels for this little redneck. Enough. you know what we did. My my boys told me they were like, "Mommy speaks English and Harry Potter ease." And I'm like, "That's right. I can tell you every spell they cast in Harry Potter. Beyond that, no, I have. I don't give me other language. But like, he will he will fake cry, and it's the fakest cry I've ever heard. And I mean, and it's there's no tears. It's not even like they're like alligator tears or like fake tears. It's just a fake cry. However, what we found for that little guy, thank you to, um, the rest of the team. Um, and and by, and and it was the medical team, uh, the severity of the constipation and the more constipated the kid was, the more fake cry we got. The physical therapist came in and did poop taping because that's like a thing. Do you, I've never I
2: heard of poop taping. Okay,
0: I'm not, I don't know what's really called, but like that's what mom and I call like it. Some like some kinesio
2: taping. Yes, um,
0: and it makes the kid poo because they do it on like the ba- baby's belly. Like I don't know. We call it the magical poop tape. But if we do a magical poop tape, I don't get any more Yankee no shell no, and we have bites. But like I, I may have
2: to investigate my PTs and their kinesio taping for yeah. poop.
0: It's poop taping and it's the most, we do something amazing. Well, she's actually from New York. So like, don't get all excited. She's not definitely Learn. not a South Carolina girl, but it's poop taping. I will, I will do a segue between you guys. I will, I will, I have her message. and I'll have her explain what the poop tape is. <laughs> um, yeah, but that's, but. We had to be comfortable and sit through a couple sessions where he was really agitated that we were going to make him do it. And he wasn't, like, throw down crying. And that's uncomfortable for me. I don't like that. I'm a firm believer we should stay positive to neutral. But, I mean, like, if there was a distraction or Sissy came in the room, he was totally fine and happy. I mean, so so what
1: so I think that's part of the misnomer, right? As the therapist or as the the clinician, in that situation, we are staying neutral to positive. Mm-hmm. But it's just we are willing to stay neutral even if you go negative. Mm-hmm. Right? And so I think as yes. So those are our, our two only gears. The, the feeding program here is all about the party. We are the party where we're just sitting there boring – but it is—it's that—that's always where we're emphasizing. So even if they go down that place, we're not—we're not following. We're just hanging out.
0: That's awesome. Mm. Okay. All right. So how long have y'all been doing this? Let me go back because that we've gone jump to the end. Let's go back, squirrel. Um, how did you start working in this combined transdisciplinary model? And like, how long have y'all been going at this?
2: Yeah, I'm sitting here trying to do the math in my head. <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> So when I moved to Columbus, I actually was part of this te- the feeding clinic team that Rob was not p- yet part of. Um, and so I've been working with kind of and at that time we had a different psychologist. And so I would do some occasional co-treats, you know, with her, not nearly the frequency of what I was what I eventually did with Rob. Um so I think I can honestly say I've been doing this for 10 years, you know, um, kind of off and on, um, much more organized within the last six years, um, you know, kind of with it. Um, and I think that's roughly around the time that Rob Ish joined team here in Columbus. So, um, so yeah, so 10 to 10 years for Mm -hmm. me.
1: And then, um, I, my specialty, I'm a child and family psychologist, pediatric psychologist. And so, um, my, my specialty in grad school is working with kids who have large temper tantrums and things like that. And, um, from the behavioral standpoint, we certainly get lots of that in, uh, in meal times. So I actually got hired here seven years ago. Um, I'd seen a handful of feeding cases before that, but that's when I started. And, um, the job was really for one third feeding and two thirds other stuff, but, What do you know? Once you start to show people we're doing feeding treatment and it's working, it quickly blew up. And that's that's been all I've been doing since quickly after that. So um, Beth and I, we had started pretty soon after we were both in the evaluation clinic together and Um, we would sometimes have overlapping patients and then like pick each other's brains. And, um, also, you know, with the, with the other people in the center, it might not just be psychology therapy, but be going back and forth. And so that's kind of what stemmed some of this. And then we, uh, started our intensive pilot six and a half years ago. And that's when really all of a sudden we're putting our heads together three hours a day, (laughs) <laughs> five days a week for for these patients and uh, and it was definitely a co-treatment boot camp for sure. Okay,
0: so, what are your biggest life lessons learned? like i I love looking back on what I thought I knew that I was doing. and then in retrospect, I'm like, what was I putting those people and their family through? Uh, so, like, I mean, Michelle's dirty laundry list is—it's pretty extensive. So, what is yours, friend?
1: <laughs> um, I've—I've I've got one loaded. If you don't, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, so I—I uh, think one of the biggest things is other centers I've—I've I've seen and, and been a part of at times is just a. F- A family should not have to choose between two professionals' opinions. So when we're doing Mm co-treatment, then I've run into this with maybe other people just collaborating with this on the outside or whatever. But if you're telling them, nope, you have to sit there, you have a timer, you have whatever, and the other provider is saying "Uh, it has to be 100% positive no matter what. The two P- providers need to come to an agreement on some sort of middle ground or a plan that can work um, so that this family isn't stuck in the middle because they just feel paralyzed. And, you know, we, we, in our evaluation clinic here, that's what we often get. are families who have, it's not just two providers, they've been to five different providers. And so if you were to come in and see what they're doing, you'd be like, well, why are they doing all of this? Well, they're doing it because this one person told them in the NICU to do it that way. And then their physician told them to do this. And then the therapist they had that one consult with told them to do that. And they're doing their best to pull it all together. Um and, so I and think then, that's one of and then
0: they get the home health nurse that says, Oh no, no, it's just a tongue tie. Cut their tongue tie for a two and a half year old that's not breastfeeding. Right. Sorry, squirrel. That, really so, angry so that, that didn't work. Monday. Is that what you're saying? That doesn't always work? That's weird. <laughs> oh my god. Wait. Okay, folks, let me be perfectly clear. Everybody should have a lingual frenulum. We do not need to go around and cut everybody's frenulums. Okay. Oh my god! Yeah, there's really Facebook pages dedicated to that, and the answer at the end oh, of the yeah. page is cut the frenulum, and I'm like, no. Okay, yeah. passionate soapbox. squirrel. <laughs> okay, all right. So that was that's a very good one, though. They shouldn't have to choose between A and B.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. Yep. we should we should work on that for them. Then thing.
2: Maybe. I'm going back and forth in my in my mind. So, um,
0: we'll give a slide we will bounce to Rob and come back for your second. How about that?
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not nearly as um, articulated as what Rob gave you. So, um, I, I guess I look back, at kind of my dirty, dirty laundry, and looking back at it is thinking that we always have to move along the lines of where they are developmentally. Um, and what I mean by that is I think sometimes like you really need to look at their oral motor skills and their, their swallowing skills with the textures that they're eating. Um, and I think sometimes we get stuck on if it's a three-year-old that this is what their three-year-old should be eating and not always looking at what the three-year-old's oral motor skills are really like, you know? Um, and Mm -hmm. I, I look back to some of my earlier, early years of feeding and think, gosh, I should have brought that texture of food back, and I probably could have made better gains. I wasn't reading the child's cue of saying, I, I'm not comfortable with the food that you're offering me because I don't know what to do with it. And then that led to some behaviors, you know, kind of to it. Whereas if you bring that texture down to something that they're going to feel comfortable with, they're more likely to put it into their mouth and to be able to move forward and make progress. So... Um, So I think that's that's where I'm at. I think
1: with the the two of us uh, combined, I've always been more the foot on the gas kind of person. And then every once in a while, I've uh, I've definitely pushed too hard. And so I would say, you know, when combining those goals to to kind of best points, we've gained so much more by by making sure we're moving forward. But we gain more by going forward slowly than by. Oh, okay, great. Now let's jump to the next one and jump mm-hmm. to the next one. Uh,
0: it's the journey. It's not always the destination because our dest- that's mine. It's, I would get hung up on where we needed to get there. That the go, 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 you know what I mean? That I would forget to enjoy the journey if that makes sense. Like there's so many little celebrations to be made. God, I'm such a freaking sap. But like there's all those little baby celebrations, right? And and <laughs> and my biggest what I wish I could go back and like shake myself for I went to a class and it was a class and it was awesome. I mean, at the time that I thought it was And they showed how we are supposed to offer therapeutic trials of advanced textures and flavors and place the food in the child's mouth. And the kid's totally physically capable of feeding themselves. And wow, um, I did that until finally one of the moms was like, well, how come the kid can't feed themselves? And I'm like, that's a great question. And I don't have the answer for it. And so I switched gears and started working on the kid feeding themselves And that opened up the floodgates for progress. And I've never looked back. And then I've taken more courses. And I'm like, why was I forcing food into this kid's mouth? Because of one class. Folks, question everybody. Question everybody and everything. Message us afterwards. Question us. Because if if somebody can't give you the rationale behind why, well, then we have a worry. You know?
1: And that... That's what I would say is one of the biggest things that this is doing this has changed about my practice yeah. too, is it makes you really think about what do you know based on the research or the practice? Or what is just sort of a like practice that people yes. do, but we don't know because when you're when you're working with somebody, you're constantly asking each other, oh well, why? Well, what do you think about this? Well, is this like the way you did that? You know, whatever it is. But you have to really think about it and pull out those essential ingredients. Uh, in a way that when you're just cranking out visits by yourself mm-hmm. you you don't have time to do.
0: What's and that's and that's hard. I mean that's honestly that's where this whole this whole first bite adventure came from because like I'm I mean I know I suffer from bouts of insomnia and stress and anxiety and I've been like super honest candid about it not to mention all the ADD ADHD and like just general contrariness that is me, right? But having wanting Wanting the why and not feeling like I had the time to dedicate into the why, that's really frustrating because, you know, sometimes I'll come across an, a quote unquote article and I'm like, yeah, but that's, there's not actually science in there. That's just pseudoscience, you know, and, and pseudoscience is not going to get us where we need to get to just say no to pseudoscience. Right. Like, yeah.
1: Right. Oh no, and I mean, like you talked before about the, uh, the Facebook pages with the tongue ties, and it's not just Facebook. I mean, there's yeah, you can right. you can find uh, online articles to support just about anything, mm-hmm. right? So, but it's really figuring out what what there's evidence for and mm-hmm. whatnot.
2: And, and online parent support groups for about everything, also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and some of those Which are
1: awful. great in some ways, but can also it's it's hard in those. I know when we when when my wife and I had our uh, had our first kid, like. We would go on those baby forums, and then we'd be like, "Well, what's real and what's not? Like, how do you make heads (laughs) or tails? They're all these people are arguing in opposite directions, you know. So we we hope we can steer people in the right way. But
0: oh my gosh, I'm just there is we have lost a part of society where we cannot, if we have a difference of opinion, it immediately gets to the I don't like you. Did you guys see Mm -hmm. the Ellen DeGeneres sitting next to President Burton? And I was like, but she's so nice be kind to everybody. And also like he just looks so slapstick, funny, silly, happy next to her. And I'm like, Mm we make each other laugh. That's wonderful.
1: (laughs) Yeah. 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 And I mean, that's totally what 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 I feel like we are here, right? We could just dig into our silos and be like, no, it's behavioral. No, it's oral motor or sensory or whatever, or it's no, it's It's all all these things. And we're going to hit it from all ends.
0: Yes. Okay. So we covered a lot of grounds. Okay. My last question, the billing piece. How does that happen? Because like, I know that's one thing that we get and that's hard in home health. Like certain states Early intervention programs will only reimburse for like a set amount of co-treatments a month or like a quarter or like whatever their state policy is. But like y'all, are, are y'all allowed to bill for co-treatments?
1: Well, it's, um it, so for our intensive program, we have a daily bill. So that includes not just speeding therapy and psychology, but everything, the food, the chef, the um, social worker, dietitians, medical the works. Um, on the outpatient side, what um, what we've been able to see is that as long as the goals are focused on specific things that are relevant to the discipline and you're spending your specific time targeted on that, then um, there's not there there's not pushback from uh, the insurance companies and they've been approved. and we've actually not uh, Beth and I, but another, psychologist and slp here have been doing a a co-treatment program where they see families for like a six-week boot camp and they you know the slp might be sitting with the actual child while the psychologist is working with the parent on how they apply this at home how the strategies work so they're in the session at the same time but they're targeting totally different things or looking at the problem through totally different lenses um and so as as long as it is clear in the notes and, um, and how that's, how that's built. That hasn't been a problem. I think that the problem would be if you're sitting in as a psychologist, if I was sitting in an oral motor feeding therapy session for 40 minutes, not talking about anything behavioral, not focused on anything else sitting and listening, well, that I couldn't bill for. Right. But it, but when you're looking at different things, um, and you're and you're targeting different areas in, and you're actively working on those it's it's been great
2: the caveat I want to say for that is though is I, at least I know for therapy, for ot and I can't speak it from a speech standpoint Michelle is that you gotta look at your your state stuff, mm-hmm. you know, so, same
1: with psychology. um,
2: you know, for the state of Ohio, that's what we can do. Mm-hmm. I can't say that that's how it's going to be across the board in all yeah. of the states, you know, you know, kind of with it. And since OT, you know, we can bill in units. So kind of to Rob's point of if I'm in a session, you know, kind of with him and I did, maybe it was an hour long session, but let's say that only during 30 minutes of that time, I spent doing more of that oral motor part. I was only billing for the amount of time that I was that I was actually doing the work, you know. Um, so I might be there for the entire hour, but I really only could bill for the half an hour because that's all the time that I did because I spent more time going into more in-depth from a behavioral kind of standpoint, you know. Or if it was a so- heavy oral motor time. Than I would bill for the entire time, you know. So kind of looking at it and weighing it out from, you know, being ethical in what you're billing.
0: So then that gets to the productivity question.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> That is, a whole, that is a question, <laughs> a whole, Michelle. Whole new can of worms. <laughs> How long you got? <laughs> okay.
0: So then I'm not going to go there in the last 45 <laughs> seconds. I'm going to say, Michelle, that's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. And maybe next time. How yeah. about
2: that? I,
1: but what I mean, what I'll say is that the. Um, all that stuff has been able to find a way to fit in. It, it depends on the session, right? So the the one that Beth was talking about, in that instance, it might only be 30 minutes of a session. But oftentimes, if it's one person's working with the parent, the other is focusing on the child or vice versa, things like that, then that doesn't become as much of an issue. So it really depends on the specifics of the of the situation. Exactly. Um, and and just the i can't stress it enough even just a little bit of consultation either direction makes a huge difference so you know even if there were times where i'd be taking a productivity hit if that's one time per month but it's making a big difference and then that's preventing another referral here and it's helping out this kid i can handle that just couldn't do it all day
2: and i second that absolutely because you got to do what's best for the child at the end of the day
0: yes that is That's why we're here. Let's face it, y'all. We did not become therapists or clinicians to make the money. If we did, we would be lawyers. (laughs) And um, I don't know, maybe then I wouldn't come home with so much frustration at the end of the day. I don't know. Do lawyers get angry? I don't, I've never met like, (laughs) Maybe I
2: don't know. I met I just them. spent an entire weekend with a friend who's a lawyer who was talking about billable hours. So I think it's across the board. <laughs> oh, really? Okay.
0: Well, that makes me feel so much better. Uh, you know, you always think about like, what's the perfect job? And, you know, that's everybody's got their thing. Oh, my gosh. Pers- okay. All right. So, um, before we leave a couple of thoughts, just to put a little bit of joy out there, y'all feeding matters. Um, I'm a huge fan of their nonprofit in case y'all haven't picked up on that by now. Um, they do have an annual scholarship for families that are trying to get into a aggressive feeding clinic, especially something, um, that's, um, out of state. So, um, if you yourself, uh, If you're not hooked up with them, then reach out to Feeding Matters. Um, Always check out being their community ambassadors um, because the uh, Feeding Matters community ambassadors, um, they give you the tools to go out and actually work with the different disciplines and might be able to help give you free information on setting up a makeshift combined treatment model in your immediate area. Um, and then, uh, I had one other thought and this is a shameless skisha plug, but on Valentine's day, which is only like three weeks away, y'all, we will be having the South Carolina speech language hearing associations, annual conference right here in Cola town, South Carolina. And if you're not local, that means Columbia. So, um, and you know, I live here, I think it's an amazing city. So y'all come and check it out. And, uh, so there's my shameless plugs for the day. Go team. Yay. So Rob and Beth, before we go, if someone has any questions about how they can reach out to y'all for further assistance, is there, are you guys okay with giving out your emails or a point of
2: contact information? <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. Okay. So um, you can reach me. You want my email now? Yes, please. Okay. You can reach Beth at Elizabeth dot helping. At nationwidechildrens.org dot mm-hmm. org. Okay. Sorry, I had a brain fart there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, and mine is Robert. Dempster, D E M P S T E R at nationwidechildrens.org dot org.
0: Perfect. And. I have to give a lovely shout out to Miss Hannah who's the amazing fresh year grad student that saved my skin today when um working mom probs the um husband got tied up in late meetings and she came and kept thing one and two so you know there weren't any random um people bursting in to beg for help unconnecting or connecting legos so Miss Hannah <laughs> thank you <laughs> <laughs> because that's where we are in the world. Bear has learned to wipe his katukus, and now it's all about fine motors and Legos. So
1: <laughs> thanks, Anna.
0: <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Anna. All right, y'all, hold the line so I can switch over to questions, okay? Okay. Aaron and I want to start with a really big, heartfelt first bite thank you. We have been so encouraged by your kind word, your messages, your glowing reviews of First Bite. This has been a labor of love for the last year and a half. And we we are grateful for y'all being on the First Bite journey with us and supporting us because we, I mean, we work full-time and this is this is a full-time gig on top of it. And we do it with joy because we understand that the world of early intervention pediatrics needs evidence in it. So we sweet-talked the folks with SpeechTherapyPD.com, and as a thank-you giveaway, we have come up with a a, a free podcast subscription. So once we hit 130 iTunes written reviews, we're going to pull another name out of the hat, probably with the assistance of an ever-so-handsome goose and a bear, And that person will get a free PodCore subscription. That's our way of giving back. So thank you. So please keep the reviews coming. We only have a few more to go. But once we hit 130, then we will pull that name out of a hat. Happy 2020. Thank you for joining us on the journey. And seriously, y'all rock. Thank you. Feed your mind, feed your soul, be kind, and feed those babies.